Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings got to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. As she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When David came to him, David asked Joab, was, was, David asked Joab how everything was going and how the people were doing how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, and did not go down to his house. Then they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why do you, go down to, why do you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink? And to lie with my wife. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. In the evening he went out to lie on his couch with his servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. As Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among them, the, among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed him, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, uh, verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And the morning was, and when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the th- this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're walking through the books of First and Second Samuel. Of course, they were one book back in the day. For our convenience, they're split into two. But we're we've been walking through this book, seeing how David gets from the pasture to the throne. and I was thinking about this. When I was a kid, we didn't have video games too much until I was like in high school, but we would play games outside, and we played King of the Hill. You remember that one? King of the Hill, and King of the Hill, the object for you young people, some of you kids don't even know what King of the Hill is. CJ, do you know what King of the Hill is? See, she doesn't even know. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, we had to play. We'll play at Nana and Papa's this afternoon. But yeah, it is. It, kids, they don't know what some of these games that we all played, you know. Um, 
king of the hill. And, and so children, the object of the game was to stay on top of the hill. And whoever was on the pinnacle was the king. And the, the, the goal was to stay as long as you could on top of the pinnacle of the hill. Now, me, I've been, you, you wouldn't know it, but I've been small all my life. I've been, uh, when I played ball, I was the smallest kid, no matter if it was a, a baseball diamond, a football field, or basketball court, I was the littlest kid out there every time. And uh, so I didn't get to spend too much time on the pinnacle. But what I would do is if someone would get down about a foot or two off the pinnacle, then I could use leverage and give them a push, and I might be able to stay up there just for, for a few moments. But I didn't get to stay. Chris McWilliams, you probably stayed on the hill a lot. Uh, <laughs> And I'm looking around, I'm seeing Brian Billings, you were on the hill a lot too. You know, Mr. Bobby, you were on the hill a lot. But I didn't, I didn't get to stay on the hill very much. But in chapter 11, we see David, just kind of set the context, David is king of the hill. He's been blessed by God with victory after victory. He's the king now of a united nation. The northern part, the southern part, they're all one nation now. And, and even against amazing odds, when when it seemed like victory was out of reach, David is victorious. And why is that? What do we keep saying is the reason for that? Because God was with them. The ark is in Jerusalem. He has a house built. It's been promised that his son will build, the Lord a house will build a temple there. And there's relative peace, not complete peace, but there's relative peace there in Jerusalem. And up to this point, the title, A Man After God's Own Heart, has been true. David has conducted himself as a man who desires to please the Lord above all things. He has sought the Lord humbly, and time and time again, God has granted him victory over his enemies. He is the undefeated, the undisputed champion of the world. He has yet to lose a battle. But in chapter 11, David meets his match. The king of the hill is going to fall. Now there's lessons to learn from David's life. We've been learning those lessons, haven't we? David is a good example for us. He's an exemplar, if you will, that we can follow. Like some of us, we've had older siblings and they had exemplary character we can model after. But not all of us have older siblings that were, that were good. Some of us... Our older siblings were more like rascals that needed a, needed a firm hand regularly. And what did we do? For some of us, we learned from their bad example, didn't we? As they were getting their rear end blistered, we saw that and we said, I'm not, whatever they just did, I'm going to avoid that. And you did. For some of you, you can say, I didn't get very many spankings because they were too busy spanking my older brother, my older sister. But I watched from that example and I learned I won't, I won't emulate them. And so you avoided a lot of that trouble. Well, David gives us an example here in chapter 11, but it's an example to avoid. Okay? So chapter 11, Hunter read most of this for us, but David is about 50 years old. He's been king here for over a decade, this united kingdom. And it says that it was a time when the kings went off to war. Well, why, why did David stay in Jerusalem? Could it be that he was just tired and wore out? Possibly. Could it be that he didn't think he had to go and fight among the Ammonites because he had defeated them with ease previously? Could it be that he was just negligent or lazy? Or could it be that David had come to believe his own press? He believed what everybody was saying about him, and this led to his downfall. 
Maybe that's the case. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We're not exactly sure. Maybe all of those things were true, but whatever the reason, David is home in Jerusalem while his army is off in battle. So a couple lessons we're going to learn from chapter 11. The first one being, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. If, if you're a student, Sammy, you've heard that before, haven't you? you? You've heard that from my mouth, right? Claire Beth, you've heard that from my mouth. Our, our, our students and our children, that's the number one thing we say when we go anywhere. We don't have a whole lot of rules and regulations, but number one is be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, and that's true for David as well. David was home, and after he took a nap in the afternoon, he's walking on the roof, of his house, and the, the houses there, they had flat roofs, and this was a common thing to do, but he sees Bathsheba, and she's taking a bath, and he saw that she was beautiful, and it just went south from there, and we'll talk about that sequence of events in a moment, but David was not where he should have been, he should have been off to war, if he's off to war, all of this eludes us, right, you might say, well, doesn't, he's the king, doesn't he deserve a vacation, doesn't he deserve a break, well, he, he does, maybe, a brief one, but after we take a, a brief rest, what do we do? We get back to doing what we should be doing, and that's being productive. I, I've found as I lived overseas for over a decade, and I come back to America, one of the idols, if you ask me what, what is uh, one of the idols that we struggle with in America, it's one of those is rest and relaxation. Our comfort is an idol for us in America. An old English proverb says, an idol mine is the what? Devil's workshop. And some erroneously think that that's in the Bible. And it's not, it's true, but it's not biblical. See, something can be true and not be biblical. That's not in the Bible, but it is a true statement, I, I do believe. F.B. Meyer says it this way The devil tempts all men, but idle men tempt the devil. Think about that for a second. Idle men tempt the devil. It's like taking a sharp stick and poking a sleeping lion. That's what, I, that's what happens when we're idle, provoking the enemy, to come after us. What are we created to do? We're created, if you've been in a part of our men's breakfasts, and I encourage you to come if you've got a, a son and, or if you're just a man and you'd like to come, I encourage you to come next Sunday at 8 o'clock. We've talked about that over the last few months. We're created to work. We're created to be productive. When we work we should, and when we're productive, we should feel God's pleasure because we're fulfilling our purpose, one of our purposes anyway. Our worst times of fighting off temptation come when we're idle, when we're doing nothing. I was in college, and I took my grandmother to see my aunt. She lived down in Mississippi, and as I drove through, we, we got to the town. It was about a three, uh, four-hour drive. We get into town, and when you're driving there, it's nothing. Cotton fields, cotton fields, cotton fields. And when you get to this town... We're driving through town, and I, I notice that there's people everywhere. They're on the porches. They're walking up and down the street. And so I get to her home, and I, and I said, well, what holiday is it today? And she says, there's not a holiday today. I said, well, no, people are home. It's the middle of the week. It's a, it's a work week, and people are off work. She says, work? Our townspeople don't work. I said, what are you talking about? I said, most of these people here don't work. They don't work at all. I was like, what are they doing? They said, they, they're just sitting at home. And a lot of them, they draw checks, and they don't have to work. 
And then she got to talking about the, the crime rate. She said, yeah, it's terrible here. And I got to thinking about that. Well, why is the crime rate high in a place where unemployment is very high? Well, you, you, you take a sinful person, which we're all sinful, you take a sinful human being, you couple that with idleness, and what, what's the result? Sin and destruction, right? Our church this summer was broken into and ransacked and by, by some teenagers in our community, and it's no coincidence that it was during the summer vacation when these kids were doing what? Absolutely nothing. They were being idle. God didn't create us to be idle. He didn't, ta- he didn't create us to rest very long. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Be productive. If you don't have enough to fill your day, speaking to our church, people are part of our church family, I'm here every Monday through Thursday. Michael and I will give you plenty to do to fill up your day. And right, Michael, there's always something to do. There's always needs to be met. And I've talked to some of you in your, your retirement age or near retirement age, and you're, you, you, you folks that are ready to retire, you're cut from a different cloth than young people today. It goes without saying, but you, you need to be busy. You like to be productive. You're, not, um, you're afraid of not having something to do, unlike young people who can watch four or five movies in a row and then get on the play Fortnite for another six or seven, eight, ten hours. You're not made that way. You have to do something. You have to be productive. Well, I'll tell you, if you're afraid of not having something to do, and I'm, with all seriousness, there is plenty to do, plenty ministry to be done, uh, by uh, in our church and by our church. And so if you're wondering how to fill your day, just, just call. And there's plenty of things to do. Plenty of folks who need to be visited and, and, and things that need to be done. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. David was not where he was supposed to be. He was idle, lounging around, and it went south from there. The second thing we learn is that sin is sequential. See, David saw Bathsheba. Notice he was... Beautiful, he was attracted to her. He lusted after her, lusted his desire for something forbidden. And James tells us in chapter, James chapter 1, and James here is, is, is teaching us that God doesn't tempt us. He's not tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone else. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death see the lust in david was something that is 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 not just now rearing its ugly head notice james says we're lured and enticed by our own desire see it was already in david's heart i liken it to a, a dam you ever heard of these dams breaking um or a levee breaking um Brother Walter, Miss Pat, they know that all about that, don't you? They had a house that was destroyed by a dam breaking, a levee breaking. But if a dam breaks, it doesn't just happen overnight. See, there was a crack in that dam all along that you couldn't see. And just over time, that crack got wider and wider until eventually the dam gives way. And that's what was going on in David. He had this struggle didn't he, with lust? Because we see, we've seen time and time again, him taking wife after wife after wife after wife and having concubines. We see that crack in his armor. We've seen that already. So it's already there. 
a crack in his heart. And let's look at the sequence of events. In verse 2, it says he saw, and he didn't take his thoughts captive, did he? And then he inquired. See, he's playing around in his head to see if this, there's a possibility he could have this woman. It's kind of like being in a store, a fireworks store. You have a fireworks stand. I go by McLilly's. They have a little fireworks stand there on 59, and it'll say on the, on the front door, there's a sign. What does it say? It says, no smoking. Yeah, no smoking, right? It's a fireworks. And there's a lot of gunpowder in there. It's like if you're in a, a, a store like that and you're asking, how many matches will it take for me to strike and randomly toss before this place explodes? You wouldn't, inquire, you wouldn't inquire about that if you weren't planning or thinking about doing it, would you? David inquired, and he found out that he's married to a soldier. And not just an ordinary soldier. This is Uriah the Hittite. Now, he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew, but he was a proselyte. He was a Gentile who had became a Jew. He converted to Judaism. He was a, a worshiper of the Lord. But 2 Samuel chapter 23 says he's also a mighty man. He was one of David's mighty men. So he saw and he inquired, and it didn't matter that, that she was married. He sent for her in verse 4. He, and he did so knowing full well what his intentions were. And you see him becoming like Saul. You remember Saul, the, the king, the first king of Israel, he had problems. And one of the problems is Samuel told the people, he's going to be a taker. He's going to take from you. He's going to take your men and your women. He's going to take your crops. He's going to take, take, take. And that's what Saul did. And we see David doing the same thing. He sent for her. And then verse 4 says he lay with her. In verse 5, sometime later she sends word back that she is pregnant with his child. And so there's a web that's in, that continues to entangle David and he's, as he looks to cover up his sin. In verse 6, he sends for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come home. He wants him to come home to see his wife. He wanted this thing to get covered up. And in the next 20 verses, describe the sequence of events. And it's all a big lie. It doesn't matter that she is not his wife. It doesn't matter that Uriah is a faithful soldier fighting for him and the nation. It doesn't matter that the baby born to Bathsheba is going to look a lot more like David than Uriah. It doesn't matter to David. It only matters that this, this mess gets cleaned up. Verse 6, he brings Uriah back home from the battlefront. What's he want Uriah to do? He wants Uriah to go home. He tells Uriah, hey, wash your feet. That's equivalent. Take a bath. You've been on the battlefield. Take a bath and go home. And he's wanting the natural things to take place, right? But verse 8 tells us Uriah didn't go home. I mean, David told him, he gave him leave. You're on R&R. You've earned it. Come on, buddy. Go home and see your beautiful wife. Rest up a little bit. But verse 8 tells us that Uriah didn't go home. And at this point in history, Uriah is more faithful, is a more faithful man than David. Uriah wouldn't take leave when his fellow, what did he say? When my, my fellow soldiers, the Ark of the Covenant is out in the battlefield. I will not do it. And so he sleeps there at the gate of the king's palace. I mean, David thinks Uriah will give in to a just urge, right? Just as he did an unjust one. But it didn't work. It didn't happen. Uriah's faithful. I'll take a time out for a second. Ask you a couple questions. At this point in time, is David experiencing the joy of the Lord? 
No, absolutely not. Is he having sweet fellowship with the Lord at this time? No way. Okay, back to the sequence of events. So David's first attempt to get Uriah to go home so he can sleep with his wife didn't work. And that's what happens, isn't it? There's, there's always the morning after we've opposed the Lord. And that's what David is doing. I mean, up to this point, David's been a man after God's own heart. He's yielded to the Lord, humbly sought the Lord, seeking the Lord's will time and time again. The Lord is on his side, giving him victory after victory, but all of a sudden he's face-to-face opposing the Lord. So in verse 13, he tries a different approach. He gets him intoxicated. He tries to sway providence again, but again to no avail. Uriah would not go, even under the influence, would not violate his conscience. Man, Uriah, what an awesome fella. David's being shown up by Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. But that can't be said about David. So verse 14 through 17, he has one more trick up his sleeve. He gives orders to Uriah, take this letter to Joab, the commander of the army, and he wrote in the letter, let Uriah be put in the battlefront and have your men withdraw. David is sending Joab Uriah's death sentence with Uriah delivering it. What a jerk. I mean, up to this point, we're, just, we're on David's side and he's our hero. And all of a sudden you're like, man, what a jerk. And you know what? He knows Uriah won't open the letter. Why, why does he know that? Because Uriah's faithful and he's loyal and he's obedient. He knows Uriah won't open that letter, so he delivers that letter to Joab. You see this betrayal. Uriah is betrayed. He's betrayed by his wife, right? He did nothing wrong. He was faithful even to his death. Kind of reminds you of somebody else, doesn't it? Who was betrayed, but yet faithful to his death. Our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? Verse 23 through 24. Let's read that. Joab sends word to David about Uriah's death. Let's read that. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab has sent him to tell him. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Uriah is killed in battle, and David is glad. One of his mighty men. Faithful to the king, faithful to the nation, is dead. Verses 18 through 21 tells us Joab sending word to David, telling him uh, how this took place. He doesn't have to worry about um, David's reaction, does he? And he, he thinks about that. And he's like, well, what if David gets mad because we're up against this city gate? And what happened, they rushed the city, they're up against the city gate, and the archers are standing over the city, right, at point-blank range, just killing some of his soldiers. Now, typically David might would get mad about that, but he's not worried, is he, Joab? He's not worried because all David wants is for Uriah to, to die. And it talks about this, this other man, Abimelech. He was Gideon's son. Um, he had made sure that no one would would compete for the throne because he had 70 of his brothers killed. And he's fighting. He's a wicked man. He's fighting for control. And a woman throws a millstone. And same situation. She's below a tower and she is a, it's a housewife. She throws a millstone off this tower and it hits Abimelech in the head and, and he dies. So Joab says, well, if he mentions something like this and he thinks this is like a Bimelech situation, you just let him know that Uriah is dead. And that's what happened. They delivered the news and 
David is uh, he's all right with it because his mess is covered up. David becomes like a man fighting an octopus. You know, you, you grab hold of one limb and get it off of you and there's seven more wrapping themselves around you. And by the end of the chapter, chapter 11, David is he's almost broken every commandment of the ten. David's doing things you would never expect. One sin leading to another. And he doesn't even see it happening. He doesn't even see it because love is so... I mean, lust and sin is so deceptive. But it's sequential. One thing leads to another. He saw, he inquired, he sinned, he took, he lied, he connived, he murdered. Wow. David, finally beaten by his own desires, his own lust, his own sin. And that's the giant that defeated David. He took Bathsheba and then he took Uriah's life. David's not where he's supposed to be. And his own desires led to adultery and murder. And we look at David, if you're, you're like me, sometimes we look at this story and are many stories about the Israelites, just in general, and you think, man, how stupid can you get? That's ridiculous. How in the world could you ever do that? You think, man, I'd never do that in a million years. Our third point is we all have clay feet. If it happened to David, it can happen to us. You think that's true? You don't. That's the problem. And it's interesting, the Bible never flatters its heroes. David had clay feet. We all do. David, a man after God's own heart, he defeated Goliath. He became king of Israel. He sought the Lord over and over and over, and the Lord has given him victory after victory. He's walked with God. He's not a new lover of God. He's been walking with God for years. He's a psalmist, for goodness sake. He's writing Scripture. And yet, he failed. And some of you, you're sitting there thinking, well, this message doesn't apply to me. Warning. Wives, warning. Husbands, be careful. You are not safe from the sin of adultery. David had these wicked desires, these cracks in his armor, in his heart, didn't he? He's seeing a glimpse of Bathsheba led to a sequence of events. Disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. And it changed his life and changed his legacy. And the scary thing is, Churches, we can't see each other's hearts. We don't know the cracks, those lustful desires. And it doesn't have to be sexual in nature. It could be for other things, for power, prestige, position, whatever. See, David, he, he caught a glimpse of Bathsheba, and it led to his demise. But the scary thing in our day and time, you can see Bathsheba with a click of a button on your phone, on your computer, on your smart TV. Bathsheba's by the dozen. Some of us are, have struggled, have went through the hell of this in our own family. Some of you are going through it now. 100% of the people who are unfaithful to their spouses, 100% think that'll never happen to me. This weekend we had a, a wedding and I met a a lady, and I'd been around her for some time, and I didn't know who she was. I didn't recognize her, and then she told me who she was. I did her wedding, 
20, 20 something years ago. And then she told me who she was and who, who she had married, and then I remembered who she was. 20 years ago, you know, we, we look different and we change, don't we, sometimes. But I asked her about her life. I asked her about her life and, and what had been going on. And David and Bathsheba rerun. What happened to her life? David and Bathsheba. And her husband had, had met another woman at work. Co-worker. And that husband would, would, would have told you years ago, this is what he thought was the love of his life and, and the, the mother of his children. He said, I would never do that in a million years. He left her, and now he's re- she's remarried. David and Bathsheba all over again. That man would have told you, I'll never do that. Where none of us are, none of us are safe because we have those cracks in the dam of our hearts. All it takes is just a, a conversation, a look, a word said to get that thing going. We have to be in the right place at the right time. We have to realize that sin is sequential. and We have to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We have to understand we're not above it. It can happen to me. I'm not safe from it. 1 Corinthians 10-12 Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I would say we... we all of us think too highly of ourselves. We think we're above it. We're beyond it. We're stronger than that. We're godlier than that. I often ask the men, I have men that I spend more time with than others, faithful men, and I ask them those type of questions about their heart and who they're with, who they're thinking about. We need that in our lives. David never would have imagined what he was capable of. He never thought he had it in him to do what he did, but he did. Look at verse 27. Uriah heard, Bathsheba heard that Uriah had died and she lamented over her husband. Look at verse 27. And when the morning was over, David sinned and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David sinned by not being where he was supposed to be. He didn't take his thoughts captive. He entertained those thoughts until it seemed better for him to satisfy his lust than to obey the Lord. He saw, he inquired, he sinned, he took, he lay, he connived, he had her husband done away with. Now, Bathsheba is living with David as his wife, sleeping in his bed. Bring up this last point here. As you read this and we conclude today, I don't want you to not know the rest of the story. And we'll get to that next week. We'll look at chapter 12. Did David get away with this? If you're visiting with us, and maybe you won't be here next week, I'll encourage you to read chapter 12. I mean, did David take this man's wife, have his, this faithful soldier killed, and get off scot-free? The answer is no. God is not mocked. You do reap what you sow. 
And God is going to respond in chapter 12. I just want to leave you with that note. I want you to think that because he's the king, it was all good and he covered this up and no one knew and they just lived their life. Because that's not what happened. So, by way of application, what do we do with this text? And there's so much. And that's the one thing, how we do our small groups. I love it because there's, there's a lot of meat on the bone still. You could be able to talk about those in your small group. <coughs> Sorry. Excuse me. So the question for you by way of application. You already kind of get it, um, I'm sure, but are you where you're supposed to be? Are you idle when you're supposed to be diligent pursuing kingdom purposes? And maybe for some of you, being where you're supposed to be is, is maybe you need to be in a small group. Maybe you come for worship, but you're not in a small group where people can get in your business and ask you hard questions and know what's going on in your life. Are you where you're supposed to be? Do you have a lot of vital time? That's not safe, is it? Second is, understand, sin is sequential. If you don't take your thoughts captive, the things will happen. Are you taking your thoughts captive? This week, I encourage you to take your thoughts captive. And, and we can, if you're a believer. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And that's a promise from the Lord to believers. Take your thoughts captive. Sin is sequential. Thirdly, don't trust yourself. People talk about that with kids. They're like, well, you know, I trust my kid. I'm like, really? Are you serious? Like, yeah. They're good kids. They do whatever I tell them to do. They say something about that. I said, I don't trust myself. Why are you going to trust a 16-year-old? 17-year-old. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I don't trust me. We think, really, we think more highly of ourselves than we should. I mean, we're just a, a moment away from blowing it all. That's why the, the Scriptures, Jesus tells a story about cutting off, if your arm calls you sin, what do you do? Cut that rascal off and be one-armed man. Pluck out that eye. Get away from it. We've got to run from it because it is dangerous. You need to be, be self-aware. Know what our tendencies are. And, hey, man, if you need to throw away your phone, get a flip phone. My daddy's got one, and it works better than any iPhone I've ever seen. He can get a call anywhere. He got a signal when nobody does. And the little flip thing, the picture's so pixelated, it don't matter if it's, if it's somebody naked or not. You can't tell. My daddy's back there, he'll, he might become a sales rep for track phone or whatever it is. Hey, I'm serious. Men, women, you might need to throw your stinking phone in the garbage. If it's a problem, if you look at things and you see, if you see stuff on your phone, go home and smash your phone with a hammer. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Don't trust yourself. Be self-aware and run from sin. Take your thoughts captive and run from it. Put yourself in a position to obey the Lord. Don't think it won't happen to you. If it can happen to David, a man after God's own heart who wrote the Dagum Psalms, it can happen to you. And, and fourthly, no sin is hidden. And sin's effect it usually comes out, doesn't it? And some of you, you're, you, maybe you're here and you've got some hidden sin, some, something that you're hiding, that you're like, man, I hope nobody finds about, out about this. 
I'm going to be real honest with you. They're probably going to, most likely. So it might be better that you find a brother or sister that loves you and you, you confess that to them because it'll be found out probably. But if not, if not, just like we read, we read verse 27, if not, if, it thing, if, if it's hidden and nobody finds out about it, God knows and God's just. And He punishes not some sin, He punishes every sin. Every single sin goes punished. So if you're here and you're not a believer, you've never repented of your sin, which means you've turned away from your sin and you're following after the Lord, and you've never trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own, that repentance and trust, it goes together. You don't have one without the other. If you've never done that, I'm going to tell you that, that you're, you're at enmity with God right now. You're at enmity with God. You're His enemy, and He's going to punish you. And rightly so, because we all deserve His punishment. And when Jesus comes back, He's going to gather His church to Himself, and those who are separated from Him, He will punish. You'll be thrown in the lake of fire where, you, where the wrath of God will be poured out on you for all eternity. And you might not make it till Jesus comes back. You might die today, you might die tomorrow, you might die the next day. But if you're at enmity with God, God's going to judge you. And He's going to pour out His wrath upon you for all eternity. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, and you're thinking that, man, I'm never, and all of a sudden you've got this kind of this, this, this sweat going on, and this anxiousness, and this knot in your stomach, I want to encourage you today, repent, cry out to the Lord, and you tell Him something like this, God, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, I've been wrong, I've rebelled against you, but I don't want to live like that any longer. Jesus died. He died for the sins of man. He died for me. I know He died. I know he, 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 he was buried and He rose from the dead so I could be right with you. God, I want to be right with you. Forgive me. I know that Jesus took my punishment on the cross. Forgive me. I want to know you and I'll live for you. You could tell Him something like that. Repent and believe. So you can have eternal life. So you can have a relationship with the Father. So you won't be at enmity with Him. You'll be intimate with Him. See, as believers, we're a bunch of believers here. We have testimonies and, and, and we love the Lord, but it's not because we're good. We're all jacked up sinners just like you. But we've been redeemed. Our sin's been paid for. Our debt's been paid. And we have this relationship with the Father. And it doesn't have anything to do with us being good enough. Like we talked about with the Reformation, that was what that was all about. It's about the gospel and reminding people, you're not saved by doing stuff, being good. You're saved because of Jesus. So please, if you've, if you've yet to repent, repent today and trust Christ. Last thing, when I, think, when I say King David, what do you think of? <clears throat> I mean, just think about it for a second. What comes to your mind when I say David? Because we're all going to leave a legacy we're all going to leave a legacy. Is it because of, what do you think of? Yeah, that's right. You think of a couple things. When I said, when, if you, you hadn't heard this sermon, I said, King David, what do you think of? This is what, what happened. See, David has a legacy, doesn't he? He's something he's remembered by. It might be your biggest defeat or your greatest victory. Sometimes, we, especially young boys, like Chase's age, he thinks about Goliath, him slaying the giant, and rightly so. That young man, that's what he ought to be thinking about. But for some of you, you don't think about 
Goliath. What do you think about Bathsheba? Yeah. Yeah, that's his legacy. And it's both and. It's not either or, really, you know. What, what's your, what's going to be your legacy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somebody think about Uriah. Man, he had that, he had that faithful soldier killed, man. Yeah, it was his legacy. We all have a legacy. So think about that, too, by way of application. And for some of us, we've blown it. Some of you here, you've blown it. You're like, yeah, man, that was, I'm, I was, I'm, that David and Bathsheba rerun, man, I've lived it. You might be in the middle of it. What's the solution? We're going to get to it in the next few chapters, but that's the sweet thing about, that's the sweet thing about the Bible, isn't it? That's the sweet thing about God. I talked about judgment. God is just. Ooh, man, because of Christ, He's merciful and gracious too, isn't He? And we're going, to, we're going to talk about the next few chapters, the next few weeks, about the grace God showed David because he repented. But if that's you and you're in the middle of it, you're living the, the David and Bathsheba rerun. It's being, it's, being, it's being portrayed and seen in your household. What's the solution? Repentance and faith in Christ. Mention David? Yeah. Think about Bathsheba. You think about Goliath too. You think about those Psalms. I think about Psalm 51. Let's pray. And if, you, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ and you're thinking about it and you're like, man, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I've got this, I've got this realization now that I'm, I'm lost or I'm not sure where I am. Man, I'd love to talk to you about that. My, my number's in the worship guide if you're visiting with us. You can call me anytime, day or night. I'd love to talk to you about it. And maybe you're here and you've got that crack in your heart, that hidden thing going on, and you're like, you know what, I need to confess that to somebody because I need some help with this problem. And I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you. I'll encourage you if you've got a small group leader, that's something you can confess to your small group leader and so they can come alongside you and help you overcome that, that sin in your life. Walk with you through it. That's what we do as a church. Hand in hand, arm in arm, living life together. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge Your goodness. And Lord, there's so much more we could, we could talk about from this episode in David's life. Father, we are needy, and we are just one decision away from blowing it. I am scared to death, Lord, of blowing it. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church family, Lord, that we would, you would just help us guard our testimonies, Lord, that we could have a witness for you. Because, Lord, left to ourselves, Father, without your grace, Lord, we would be David. All of us would. Father, help us. We need your grace to be obedient, to take our thoughts captive, Lord. We need you to help us, and we're asking you would do that. Father, for some, Lord, they need to confess their sin. They've got this hidden thing going on in their life. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a relationship that's, that's not healthy. Maybe it's a, a drug issue. Maybe it's an alcohol issue. Maybe it's a, a lying issue. Maybe there's been some dishonest things going on in their life. And I just pray that you would help them to confess that to a brother and sister. Father, I pray for, for us to be productive, busy about doing your work. And Lord, there, there's someone here, and they've got a lot of time on their hands. Maybe they're retired, or they're at home, and they don't have a lot going on. I just pray that you would 
Help them be diligent in doing your kingdom's work. And help us as a church lead them in that. I pray that even this week that we'd be able to take our thoughts captive, make them obedient to you, Father. Pray for the lost, that you would save them. That we leave here rejoicing, more aware of ourselves, more aware of our sin, our potential to sin. Father, help us to help us as a church to leave a, a legacy those who've blown it and just struggling with guilt and shame, I pray that your spirit would move in their hearts, that they would trust in Christ. That you would, that they study your scriptures, wash them anew in the word, and they would know that they're forgiven. You begin to heal families and heal relationships. You've been good to us, Father. Give us grace so we could leave here today and be good to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.